evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I'm Corey Olson. This is session number 144 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. We finally equal one gross today, uh, which is um, pretty exciting, I think. Uh, fairly awesome. And uh, session number 20, I believe, if I'm counting correctly, on the Council of Elrond. So uh, today... We <laughs> no JJ. That's not the number of people who have been invited to the stream. You don't have to worry that you've been uh, asked to, to fill up the required number, like goods in a package or anything like that. So uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, good, good. So uh, let's. Uh, well, in a second, we'll jump into the text. One very quick. Um, uh, very quick announcement is uh, don't forget that this coming week is we are starting our first term of our new Signum Path classes. So our June classes begin on uh, this coming week, uh, starting on Monday. Uh, so, But there's still time uh, to register. These are short classes. They only go for one month each. Uh, so there's, of course, we have also a registration open for our July and our August classes, but there is still time uh, to get in for June. So I just wanted to invite people to do that. We've had several registrations here in the last couple of days, which has been great. Uh, so uh, anyway, just wanted to invite you to that path.signumuniversity.org. Um, all right. Uh, so let us get back into the text because we were finally at Gandalf's speech uh, here. So we're going to be doing a bunch more Gandalf this time. And I was particularly excited by our discussion last time um, when we were talking about Saruman's words, or rather Gandalf's recollection of Saruman's words, uh, and particularly looking at the potential significance of his use of the passive voice about how the river was rolled down the river to the sea, trying to understand there exactly in what way, like what precisely was the argument that uh, uh, Saruman was using to try to reassure the rest of the council and that he was not necessarily attempting to bamboozle everyone into believing that it is something that is not only conceivable but overwhelmingly likely that the ring would have rolled spontaneously uh, down the riverbed for hundreds of miles until it reached the ocean um, which seems at best, not the likeliest thing that would possibly have happened, um, uh, uh, you know, under the course of nature, right? Um, but again, I, that seems to me not what he is implying. But I think the reason that it took me a long time to come to that conclusion about that passage is that Gandalf is once again being very indirect. And this is very Gandalf, right? Um, Gandalf almost never speaks directly about the powers in the West or about Iluvatar, right? I mean, he never says a straight word about them uh, if he can get away with any kind of uh, circumlocution, right? Um, and it seems, anyway, if, well, either Saruman was equally uh, uh, circumlocutionary or uh, Gandalf is being indirect uh, in his... Uh, uh, in his recalling of the thing. Yeah, Tolonio, I'm also sure Gandalf was being as, uh, as, was putting it as plainly as he possibly could, right? Which, as we've seen before, is none too plain uh, in that case. Uh, so anyhow, um, yeah. So let's get back to, uh, 
his immediate follow-up. We actually glanced ahead at this uh, passage already last time, but I want to kind of sit down with it here a little bit more. Gandalf fell silent, gazing eastward from the porch to the far peaks of the Misty Mountains, at whose great roots the peril of the world had so long lain hidden. He sighed. There I was at fault, he said. I was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise, but I should have sought for the truth sooner, and our peril would now be less. We were all at fault, said Elrond, and but for your vigilance the darkness, maybe, would be already be upon us. But say on. From the first my heart misgave me, against all reason that I knew, said Gandalf, and I desired to know how this thing came to Gollum, and how long he had possessed it. So I set a watch for him, guessing that he would ere long come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure. He came, but he escaped and was not found. And then, alas, I let the matter rest, watching and waiting only, as we have too often done. Okay. Um, yeah, Matt is wondering if, given all the passive voice, if uh, the Astari are bound to some kind of silence. I mean, Matt Gandalf's pattern of indirection in his speaking uh, about the West is almost enough to make me wonder uh, whether or not there's been some kind of uh, binding, some kind of vow. I, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not even sure. But I, it, I, I mean, I don't feel like we have enough uh, evidence to answer that question. Yes, right, to answer that question positively. But we have enough, <laughs> enough data to, like, ask the question, I think. Um, uh, I don't really know. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Chris says that this exchange between Gandalf and, and Elrond has the sound of a discussion repeated, and I completely agree with you there. Uh, I think this is not the first time that Elrond has reassured Gandalf uh, on this particular point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so first question I want to ask, though, that first paragraph. Why do we get that first paragraph? That first paragraph is quite unusual. I mean, in the Council of Elrond so far. We've gotten very little of this. Very little in the way of description of silence or dramatic pauses, right? Gandalf fell silent, gazing eastward from the porch to the far peaks of the Misty Mountains, at whose great roots the peril of the world had so long lain hidden. He sighed. Why do we get this description of Gandalf's not only sighing, right, um, but of falling silent, gazing eastward, and looking at the Misty Mountains. Um, on the one hand, I think that we have, you know, his gazing at the Misty Mountains is sort of clear enough. I think there's, there's the kind of, he is feeling the kind of irony here. I mean, it was right there, right? I mean, it's like they can see the mountains where it was, if they could see straight through the mountains, it's, I mean, like in a straight line, the ring of power was not very far from them for quite some time, right? Um, and so there's certainly one of those, like, retrospective irony kinds of things, right, that he's reflecting on, um, at whose great roots the peril of the world had so long lain hidden. But I wonder, right, I, I, I wonder, um... Yeah, now, Chris, I agree with that. If you're a first-time reader who had read The Hobbit, this might serve as connecting tissue between the stories. That's certainly true. Um, 
here's the other thing, and I certainly agree, JJ, that it is, um, uh, it does help us feel the weight of his words, of Gandalf's words. And also just to bring home to us Gandalf's own feelings in this matter, right? He's not just reporting. This is not just Gandalf, um, you know, making a presentation uh, to this group of people, right? Um, these things Gandalf feels rather keenly, right? Um, he, uh, he would genuinely seems to believe that he was at fault, that he blew this, right? And this is, again, another one of those things that I think um, doesn't get emphasized often enough when people ask the question. I know I've brought this up a couple times in the last few weeks, but I do so because it's one of those things of, you know, after 10 years of, you know, being on the internet fielding people's Tolkien questions, you see a lot of patterns in questions. And one of the patterns that I have seen many times are people who, and these are like, you know, smart, intelligent readers um, who are saying like, doesn't it seem like a slip on Tolkien's part that, or like a, you know, an imperfect um, yeah, at the very least, an imperfect success in his retconning uh, to have Gandalf not figure it out sooner, right? But one of the things that is often overlooked in that is that, you know, Gandalf would be the first to agree with people who feel that way, right? Um, if you feel like, well, you know, gosh, it's unlike Gandalf not to have put things together there, Um well, yes, Gandalf does feel regret about that. Um, and Gilgonthir, I think it's that's perfectly fair to say uh, that we rarely see Gandalf looking this vulnerable and fallible. I agree, certainly in The Lord of the Rings. In The Hobbit, we saw him both vulnerable and fallible, though in different ways, right? Uh, vulnerable in the I'm stuck up a tree and about to get eaten by wolves kind of way, right? Which is a different kind of vulnerability than this one. Uh, but, um, but, but anyway, yes, I do agree. Um, and, uh, and Tony, I agree also that this is definitely part of Gandalf's incarnation, his forgetting things and making mistakes. Um, this is part of the story, part of his story, right? That we, I do think we are supposed to receive here. And certainly, again, this pause serves to help us to make that connection, right? To realize that. Again, this is not just... Gandalf is not just giving us the facts here, right? Um, he is being vulnerable here. We are being shown from the outside that um, he feels very... Uh, uh, feels very strongly about, about this stuff. Um... But I wonder. Um, well, let's talk about we'll finish. We we'll finish talking about this a little bit more. Um, but I have another question to ask about it. Um, Enoch says, "Is it possible that Gandalf feels his failure so strongly and takes it so personally because the Astari were the ones actually charged with opposing Sauron?" Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, it certainly is sort of like a failure. You know that of like his brief more directly, right? I mean, it's it's his job, right? Uh, so if uh, if the Ring of Power was right there and you know and he didn't pick up on it and he should have picked up on it, I mean, this seems to have been served up to him on a plate potentially, right? Um, and he missed it, he blew it. 
Um, had he figured this out 200 years earlier, 300 years earlier, had they figured out uh, that the, you know, had they somehow discovered that the Ring of Power was there, right, uh, in the Misty Mountains, wow, that would have made things much easier, right? But had Gandalf even figured it out 75 years before, right? Right after Bilbo's adventure, they could have swung south, right? Gone to the uh, to the fiery mountain, chucked it in, and gone home, right? Now, it wouldn't necessarily have been that easy, but still, probably easier than right about now. Um, so, um, anyway. Uh, but here's the other thing. Um... Yeah, Belongsman, that's one of the other things that I'm thinking about, is that I also don't want to go over the top in thinking about that way. That he is sighing, um, he is feeling it, but I am not necessarily convinced that this is 100% a, um, just an emotional moment on Gandalf's part, right? Yes, he's appearing vulnerable, but I think there might be more involved here. Um, He's gazing eastward to the far peaks of the Misty Mountains at whose great roots the peril of the world had so long lain hidden. And that's when he's sighing. Um, I'm wondering, in part, if what he's doing there, like, and so in trying to play the what exactly is going through Gandalf's mind while he's doing this, while he's looking at the mountains. Um, in playing that game, it's possible that he is dwelling on his own failure, perceived failure, right? I should have figured it out sooner. I was at fault for, for this. Um, I, it's possible, but I'm not hundred percent sure that that's all that he's doing. There are a couple other things, uh, that he could be thinking here. WKU, it's quite possible he could be thinking about Gollum, right? He's looking at the Misty Mountains. Now, you know, I just said a a couple minutes ago that, oh, man, if they'd figured out that the ring was there 300 years ago, right, then, wow, this would have been a lot easier, right? And that's true. But how on earth would they have, right? Remember to, back to that other cryptic remark which Gandalf claimed to be as, uh, being as plain about it as was possible, right? Um, Gandalf himself was explaining to Frodo that the finding of the ring by Bilbo in that moment was orchestrated by some power who wanted Bilbo to find the ring and not by its owner, right? And so if we're following his train of logic, it seems that Gandalf is believing there, is explaining to Frodo that the good guys, whether it was Iluvatar, whether it was one of the Valar, or all of the Valar, or what... um, whoever it was, uh, wanted that to happen, right? That Providence took a hand and meant for it to happen this way. And so, is, is he, therefore, looking at the Misty Mountains and saying, gosh, if only we'd found it earlier? How could they have? It's not just a question of, like, well, be realistic. What were you going to do? Comb through the whole mountains? looking? And why would they look for it in the mountains, right? And how could they possibly have known? It's not even that. Right? It's not even the mere impossibility of it. It is the fact that he has positive evidence that uh, he has positive evidence that, or at least he has a positive conviction, let me say, uh, that 
they found it, when they were meant to find it, right? That it's lying, the peril of the world, lying hidden at the great roots of the Misty Mountains at which he's looking, when he's thinking right now, that that's where the ring, in a sense, was meant to be, right? So, I wonder. His words talk about his being at fault. Um, and what he should have done and how he could have handled things better. But I'm not sure that that's actually what his thoughts are lingering on in that moment. I'm kind of wondering if what he's thinking about is kind of contemplating the, uh, well, the shape of things, if that makes sense, right? Um, not thinking about the past there, but thinking about the future trying to understand the story that he is a part of, right? Um, and again, remember, this comes right after he quoted Saruman saying, if I'm understanding him correctly, Saruman saying, or at least implying in that Istari-like indirect way, uh, that the Lords of the West, the Valar, and or Iluvatar, right, um, have taken care of it. That was Saruman's reassurance. It has been rolled down the river to the sea, right? Almost got it. It sleeps with the Silmarils. Don't worry about it. Um, and if that was what he was just quoting Saruman saying, so he was just quoting and is now maybe reflecting on Saruman's argument, the Valar have this, right? What's the truth? That turned out to be a lie, right? That's not the truth. He he might have earnest, earnestly studied this matter, but that was not, in fact, the conclusion of his studies, that the Lords of the West have taken care of it, right? Except, wait, they kind of did, actually, right? Gandalf himself seems to believe that Providence itself has indeed taken care of the ring, except it didn't send it down to the sea. It hid it in the mountains, right? The concealment of the peril of the world at the great roots of the Misty Mountains for all of those years, that was the contrivance of the powers, not the rolling down to the sea. Instead, they revealed it, right? Ultimately, to Gollum, and it was hidden. And then it was revealed to Bilbo. And now it's come to them here and now. And so he is, I think, perhaps looking forward? Right? And thinking, so what does this mean? What is what what is the council of the West in this hour? What's their if this is if we're in fact following their plan, right? Their big plan, uh, then what's the plan exactly, right? How should we go forward with that plan? And you see, I think it fits with what he says for his mind to be going in that direction. Um, seems to me to work with what he says right afterwards, too. There I was at fault. I was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise. But I should have sought for the truth sooner, and our peril would now be less. What did he do wrong? He was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise, who told him, here's what the plan of the West is. The plan of the West is to take the ring away from Middle-earth and to hide it forever from Sauron. And one of the things that I think he's saying here is, dude... I should have known that that was not the plan of the Lords of the West. Not that they haven't taken a hand. Not that they're not looking, right, uh, into this. Not that they're not 
taking uh, uh, taking a role, but rather that that's not the role that they would take. And I should have known that, right? I was lulled by Saruman's words. I kind of wanted to hear that. I, I, I liked the idea. We all liked the idea that the Valar had said, we got this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. We've taken care of the enemy's ring. You don't have to, you don't have to, uh, 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 you know, trouble yourself about that. Um, but he should have known. He should have known, not because he should have known that they wouldn't take a hand, but that that's not the way in which they would take a hand. Um, and nobody should know that better than he, right? Because he's he's a big part of the hand that they're taking in this whole thing, right? Um, uh, yeah, Tony, they would want it destroyed for good, not hidden for a season, but I think even more importantly, they wouldn't take it out of the hands of the people of Middle-earth, right? They're going to leave it for the doom of this council and the deeds and the great deeds to follow. That's how they operate, right? Um, sweeping in and taking the issue out of the hands of the peoples of Middle-earth, that's not the way it generally goes. Um, uh, yeah. Now, Sam, you're absolutely right. They did kind of take it from Gollum, in a sense. Sure, absolutely. No, that's not what I mean. When I say take it from the hands, I don't mean literally remove it from anyone's possession, that they would never do that. What I'm saying is, I mean take it out of the hands in the sense of remove it from the agency of. Remove it so that the people of Middle-earth need give no thought to it, right? We're just going to sweep in and we're going to uh, take it off your hands in that, like, broader sense, right? Um uh, yes, they give the, the people of Middle Earth the chance to show their quality, uh, Tarlonio. That's yeah, that's that's that that's closer to it, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Um, so, so that's my new theory as to what Gandalf is thinking when he's looking to the east and why it is that he's looking at the Misty Mountains in particular, which would seem in some ways to be a slight non sequitur because I think it doesn't fit with uh, what he says with the I was at fault, just in the sense of I should have been more vigilant, right? Um, I'm not saying he doesn't feel that because I'm sure he does feel that. And I do think his sigh also is involved with that, like he does feel that he could have handled this better, that he could have played his part uh, in this better. But I don't think it's just that. Um, so anyway, thanks for being patient with me. I wanted to kind of work that idea through a little bit. Um, and I certainly agree uh, that um, uh, I certainly do agree that the um, the words lulled certainly does suggest that Gandalf is implying that Saruman was putting forth his power. And I think that he is kind of tipping his hand here a little bit, intentionally. He's not dropped the bomb yet, um, the revelation about Saruman's treachery, but he's preparing the way for it, right? Um, by saying, I was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise, he is preparing people for... Uh, the revelation that he's going to be giving later on, right? So that it won't come as an utter shock when um, uh, when we, we finally get there. Um, 
Now, for Thoughtless, you ask an excellent question, and uh, I'm going to tell you from the beginning, I don't uh, have any um, definite answer for you in, in, in a lot of ways here. But for Thoughtless, says, I've never understood uh, the providence in the Lord of the Rings to be actions of the Valar. How can we distinguish between intervention by the powers and by the one? I might be convinced that action by Anduin was the Valar, but these events that took that looked like pure chance. First of all, I personally think that trying to distinguish between what Iluvatar does and what the Valar do from a Middle-Earth perspective, right? Um, I mean, it's one thing in the Silmarillion, right, when the Valar are described as acting and we're getting the descriptions of their actions and all that kind of thing. It's one thing then uh, to say, okay, the Valar, they're choosing, choosing to do this, right? They're exerting their own choices to, to, uh, uh, to do that. Um, yeah, Angrist, it definitely feels to me like a distinction without a difference, really. Um, at the end of the day, from a, I, I mean, they are, the Valar are uh, Iluvatar's agents, and it's clear, like, Iluvatar's a big delegator, right? I mean, yes, we know that, that Iluvatar does some things directly without the aid or even the knowledge of the Valar. Like, for instance, bringing forth the elves and men, uh, we know to be examples of this. We know that that kind of thing happens. Um, but I don't think there's even any fruitful point. That's why I'm so vague about this. That's why I keep saying whether it was Iluvatar or the Valar, we don't know. We don't know, and I don't think there's any way that we can know. Um, it may well be that some of the acts of providence, some of the things which appear to be, which uh, happen by chance, if chance you call it, um, it could well be that those are all direct uh, interventions of like the plan of Iluvatar being worked out. It may be that they are uh, direct interventions by the Valar which make the plan of Iluvatar work out. It may also be that there's no real way to distinguish between those two things at all from the point of view of the one who is on the receiving end of the act of chance, if chance you call it. So I just, um, I, I don't find it a useful question, um, I guess I would say. Uh, so... I don't find it useful. Now, it's, I'm not saying it isn't interesting from a purely theological standpoint, but I am saying from, a, from the standpoint of the text, I don't think it is really an answerable kind of question. Um, there are some moments when I think we can see the Valar themselves acting in a way which I think is fairly unmistakably the Valar. To me, the, the number one example, and this is an example I've given many times before, um, but if you, wanna, if, you, if you want me to pin myself to one place where I feel very confident that the Valar are acting in The Lord of the Rings, it would be the wind from the sea uh, at the Battle of Pelennor Field. Um, and that strikes me, and as a very direct Manway moment intervening in the battle. Um, but you know, uh, it's unclear. For Thomas, we'll get to the return of Gandalf. There's a lot to go over there in Gandalf's words about that. Um, but but even there, I'm not really sure that there's... Uh, uh, but uh, sorry, For Thomas, what I'm talking about, as far as the return of Gandalf is concerned, once again, there I find the question of even there trying to figure out, you know, Iluvatar versus the Valar or whatever. Uh, is uh, I don't 
think super useful. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, uh, certainly the wind from the west and the scouring, Sam, I can get behind that one. Absolutely. Like I said, if, if, if there were one passage in the whole Lord of the Rings that I had to stake everything on, it would be the wind from the sea at the Battle of Pelennorfield. But I'm not saying I think it's the only one. I'm just saying, like, it's like my top one, right? The one that I feel most 100% confident in. Um, though I certainly agree that the wind from the west that blows away uh, the spirit of Saruman is uh, a pretty good... Uh, I, I think a fairly safe bet uh, as well. Um, uh, so anyway, let's. Um, I, we don't have to carry on talking about this forever, but uh, uh, but I just wanted to emphasize that's why I am deliberately vague, and honestly, I'm not going to be less vague uh, about this because again, I, I think that it's um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a fool's. Uh, uh, gambit, I sort of think to really try to to think you can you can make rock solid distinctions between what Iluvatar do, what Iluvatar does uh, and what his delegated servants whom he's put in charge of the world uh, uh, to order it after his will do you know so it's um, um, would it be fair to say that the Valar are a subset of Eru rather than separate no not at all they are definitely separate they are creatures um, um, so they are not they are not him but he has delegated the world to them, and he works his will through them, like he has given it to them to work, uh, and he has shown them the vision of how he wants things to go. And we know that he, his providence includes the choices of the Valar as well, um, that their own choices are also the implementation of, and, you know, I, there is no one who can, including the Valar, uh, who can alter the music in his despite. Um, his providence is all, uh, is all encompassing in that way. But that's exactly why I find it, be, but that's what I mean when I say that they are the instrument of his providence very often, right? Um, because they, you know, he has set things in motion for things to happen in a certain way. And a large part of the reason that some of the things happen in the way that they do is because the Valar have chosen that they should. Um, so, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So let's, um, yeah, and uh, Chris is talking about how, you know, we were just talking about this. There seems to be, uh, well... We're looking at some of Tolkien's own kind of goings back and forth about this and thinking his own thinking through some of these philosophical and theological issues. And it's one of the really fascinating things to see. We're talking about Morgoth's Ring right now, volume 10 of the history of Middle-earth, uh, which is, of course, the volume which describes his return to the Silmarillion material after writing The Lord of the Rings. And it's so fascinating to see the pattern of his revisions and the things that he's wrestling with and thinking through uh, as he is uh, reconciling the Silmarillion to The Lord of the Rings, like making the Silmarillion into the kind of legends and the kind of story that fit with The Lord of the Rings. Completely fascinating stuff. Uh, so we have been looking at some of this because some of the the these theological and philosophical issues are some of the things that Tolkien himself has been... Um, uh, wrestling with uh, in the post Lord of the Rings world, uh, actually. So, uh, anyway, very good. Okay. Um, so, um, let's. Um... <laughs> oh, man. Anger says, I tried to binge Morgoth's Ring over the weekend and it broke my brain. It's tough. The first couple hundred pages of Morgoth's Ring are not easy reading. 
by any stretch. So I totally can sympathize with that. You got to be careful. You got to pace yourself, man. You got to pace yourself. Uh, but don't worry, we've slowed way down in the middle, so uh, you've got time to catch up before we get to the end. Okay, anyway, but speaking of having time to catch up before we get to the end, uh, let's go back to our passage here. Okay, Elrond's response, we were all at fault, um, and but for your vigilance, the darkness maybe would already be upon us. Uh, I can certainly agree uh, with Chris that that certainly sounds like an oft or at least a several times repeated reassurance uh, of Gandalf by Elrond. Um, But, hang on, so I'm trying trying to figure out how I want to end that sentence. I want to end with a but. I'm trying to figure out what I want to say but, though. Um, Yes, he's said this before, but he's saying it again publicly now, right? Just as I was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise are a piece of foreshadowing, right, on Gandalf's part, um, we were all at fault is a public acknowledgement by Elrond. It's not just of Salander, it's not just a reassurance of Gandalf. Hey man, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. It's not your fault. I mean, he is saying that, but he's not just saying that. Um, he is saying he is acknowledging he's, I don't know, repeating Gandalf's preparation for what's going to happen later on, right? Um, For the revelation that's coming. Um, We were all at fault Um, to be lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise, right? He too, Elrond, was also lulled by Saruman's words in the same way. Um, So, and Turambar, I think that's who the we is. I mean, I think he's, uh, when he says we were all at fault, yeah, I don't think he's speaking on behalf of everyone in the room, right? Yeah, I agree. Glowin would be like, dude, (laughs) I I was not at fault in this regard, right? Um, But, um, uh, but Elrond does. Chris asks a wonderful question. I, I wonder if uh, Galadriel would acknowledge that she was at fault, right? An interesting question. Something to look for when we get to Galadriel, perhaps, in some ways. Um, but uh, Elrond is quick is quick to own it here, right? Um, and Tony, I have to think that the other people in the room are wondering what they're talking about. Um, but say on, right, is a, a clear a clear cue to everybody else. I know I'm acknowledging that you don't understand what we're talking about right now, but you will soon. But I'm going to let Gandalf explain it, right? Um, <laughs> JJ points out that Kelleborn would totally blame, <laughs> blame Glowen. Yeah, fair enough. He probably would. But let's not start beating on Kelleborn quite yet, JJ. <laughs> Though I suppose you could say it's never too early. Um, but um, anyway... Uh, but yeah, let's not talk about Galadriel or Kelleborn right now. Um, from the first my heart misgave me against all reason that I knew, and I desired to know how this thing came to Gollum. Notice the emphasis there. Against all reason that I knew. 
And again, this is the thing that I think that most people overlook when they're thinking that this is, that Gandalf's lack of recognition of the Ring of Power is a simple plot hole. And I already pointed out the irony of how Gandalf himself is the first one to make the argument that is usually brought by people who find this a plot hole in The Lord of the Rings. Namely, count the rings, right? Come on, do the math, people, right? It's obviously a ring of power. It's not one of the nine. It's not one of the three. It's almost certainly not one of the seven. You know, what did you think it was, right? How could, you know, why would Tolkien expect us to believe that they were all so stupid as not to figure that out from the very beginning by very simple process of elimination? Um, the answer to that question is what Gandalf says right here. My heart misgave me against all reason that I knew. So there are two important factors here. One is that everything he knows... His reason tells him it is impossible that this ring could be the ring of power, right? It is, um, uh, it is, it is already known what happened to the ring. Saruman told them, and they have no reason to disbelieve him. He was speaking, because remember, if I'm reading that right, if Saruman's reassurance to them is not just, I'm pretty sure I figured out what happened to it, and it probably rolled away hundreds of miles down the river. That, I'm sure that's probably what happened. If, that, if he's not saying that, but if instead he's saying, guys, trust me on this one. I know what I'm talking about. The Valar took it. End of story. Right? Um, part of the cunning of that lie is that it is a lie that one would be very very reluctant to tell. This is not a garden variety fib on Saruman's part, right? He stakes a lot on that particular lie, right? He's not just putting his own, like, reputation and everything at, uh, at stake. This is a pretty significant moment, I would say, in Saruman's whole decline. This is going to be one of the things that I'm going to be interested to see examples of as we move forward here. Um, that is Saruman. Uh, in Gandalf's story, what do we learn about Saruman? What is he telling us about Saruman exactly? Um, when Saruman went bad and how Saruman went bad. And I want to be careful about something. I want to be careful about being too quick to apply the things that Tolkien tells us elsewhere after the fact. Um, like in Appendix B, for instance, right? Because Appendix B is written after the fact, after the rest of the story is written. And that's relevant and it's interesting. I'm not saying it doesn't count or anything like that. But what I am saying is we need to be careful, right? I am interested to see what the story is, what we can tell about the story from here, right? I am interested to see that, um, uh, because, of course, Tolkien often retcons things and changes his mind about stuff later on or decides that this is how it should be. And so he'll redirect it. And that's great. And again, that, that is awesome. Tolkien is really good at that. And we should totally pay attention to that. Not saying to disregard it. But when we're trying to answer questions about the text, don't just automatically import data that Tolkien wrote later, right? It's, 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 it's not a bad thing to do, but that's not, but I don't just want to do that. Do you see what I mean? 
Um, I think that this is a huge deal. This moment that Gandalf is describing is a huge deal, right? That Saruman should not only just, not merely lie about this thing, about, about this issue, I mean. Uh, should, not only not just that Saruman should lie to the rest of the council, but that he should make that lie. That he should play the I have certain knowledge from the Valar about this card. That is a this is more than just a like make or break for his reputation. Right? Um, in the sense of they'll figure out that he's lying or not. Um, this is um This is, that's, it's, it's crossing a line. It's crossing a very important line, I would say, um, where he is. It is true that it's a deliberate lie to set the council into a mindset of complacency. I agree with that. But again, it's, it's, it's more than that. Um, it is a kind of betrayal of the, of the Valar themselves the, the nature of the lie right the the substance of the lie it's not just the fact that he's lying and that he's lying about this to me this is much more important yeah more than when it exactly it is almost as if he's making them complicit um i mean he's not making them complicit right but i mean he is um yeah yeah um, yeah, Tony, uh, yes, it begins to sound like it is in that direction, right? Um, uh, Tony's saying it's uh, sort of similar to Saruman's lie in Numenor about Eru and Melkor. It, it's closer to that, certainly, um, uh, than him just trying to mislead them in some other way. It is, it is heresy. Uh, 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 yes, yes, I agree with that. But it's there's also, but it's more than just heresy as well. There's a personal betrayal of trust here. These are these are the lords of the West, and that's a big deal. But they're also like they're his bosses, right? I mean, and the there is a deeper exploitation of his role as a wizard, as one of the Astari. Right? The Astari were sent by the Lords of the West to Middle-earth in order to protect it, right? to help them uh, to fight against Sauron. And Saruman is here banking on that. Right, He is exploiting that fact in order to deceive them, f- to deceive the people for his own ends. Right? Yes, Tony, it is a betrayal, not only of the Council, but of the Valar at the same time. Um, do you see, uh, um, do you see what I mean? What, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here? I just, it, this seems, seems to me like a really, really big deal. Um, that Saruman is, uh, and this, and because notice one of the consequences of this, nobody disbelieves him. Nobody disbelieves him, right? Gandalf was lulled. Elrond was lulled. We're all at fault, he says. Um, Nobody, I mean, 
this was if this was a you know a calculated gambit on Saruman's part, it absolutely worked. Um, yes, Mariel, that is exactly exactly it. There was I knew there was there was a parallel kicking around in my mind, uh, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And Mariel, you absolutely have it. Mariel says it's, there's a betrayal of, of authority here, like a partner selling fake relics. Yes, or more importantly, uh, like uh, w- the 14th century's enormous concern with friars um, uh, running around and uh, giving easy penance uh, to people. Um, that. It wasn't just that they were deceiving people. It wasn't just that they were, they're supposed to be out there helping people's souls, right? And it's not just that they were betraying those people. It's not just that they were letting those people off and misleading those people. It's that in the act of doing that, they were, uh, they were undermining the entire, like, process of salvation, right? The entire mechanism uh, by which people are meant to be healed was being itself corrupted, right? That's why people got so bothered uh, with... uh, That's why, I mean, there's so much 14th century literature, which is all concerned about friars, right? You can see this in Chaucer quite a bit. Um, uh, So, it's a huge, huge deal. And yes, uh, Luther's concern about the selling of indulgences is very similar in its tone. Yes. Um... Uh, exactly, exactly. Well, Dante too, Chris, but he had other issues uh, as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it has. That's exactly, Mariel. That's thank you for suggesting that parallel because that exactly puts uh, that exactly touches what I'm trying to get at there. Um, that lie that he told was that kind of a big deal. It doesn't just it doesn't just betray that he as the uh, as one of the astari has gone bad and is working against the free peoples of middle earth it undermines the whole concept of the astari right if you can't trust saruman the white the head of the order of the astari sent from the lords of the west in order to like be messengers from the lords of the west hi we've come from the lords of the west to help out right and if you can't trust them when they say the lords of the west have taken care of this it's okay then who can you trust or what can you trust them about right what's the point at all it's um it's a big deal it's a real again it's much bigger than just the mere fact that he lied right the mere fact that it like why he might have been motivated to lie um but, um, yeah, the West has failed, says Chris. Yeah, well, you know, if one were to lapse into despair of some kind, one could understand why this uh, kind of situation could 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 lead to that. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, and, and Omala, you're absolutely right that there is a, a much deeper kind of betrayal of the rest of the Astari in this, right? Um, to... To Gandalf, it would be um, it would be a very much bigger deal, right? Um, more than just a personal betrayal. It's not only that um, it's not only that his friend betrayed him. That it, that happened. Yes, that's true. It's not just that somebody that they thought they could rely upon uh, and who was a very important part of all their councils, as as Galdor's question was re- was showing. Right? It's not just that either. 
Right. It's much more than that. Um, and yeah, Tony, we're going to see how he betrayed Radagast too, which is going to play off this same essential concept, right? So, okay. All right. Yes, that is what I was trying to get to. Now, um, but again, back to Gandalf's first statement there. From the first, my heart misgave me against all reason that I knew. Reason that I knew, right? I had knowledge of what had come of the Ring of Power, right? Of Sauron's ring. Gandalf knew this because Saruman had told him on excellent authority, right? What had happened to Sauron's ring. So there was no way, whatever that ring, I mean, there's some kind of mystery about this ring, right? And he's got to, he, you know, he should probably figure that out. But one of the things that he knows for sure, I mean, again, the, the same kind of process of elimination that Gandalf himself applies, right? Can't be one of the nine. Can't be one of the three. Trust me, it can't be one of the seven. Um, he would have done the same thing. Like, well, can't be the one, right? Can't be the three. So what could it possibly be? Um, you know, he, um, uh, he knows, knew, had reasons to know that it was not the one. And yet his heart misgave him, right? Um, JJ says, is there any possibility of another ring being made by someone with such properties? Uh, yes, yes. Is that at least as likely as that Saruman, on his very good authority, is mistaken about what happened to the one? Yeah, that's got to be at least as possible, right? Um, uh, and probably more possible. Remember, there is a lot that is not known even about the rings of power, right? I mean, literally, what do they know? A rhyme? Right? Like, seriously? That's the source of the... I mean, who knows what Celebrimbor was up to? Did Celebrimbor reveal his entire mind to the rest of the wise? You think so? Right? Uh, did, what about Sauron? Right? What, what was he up to? We know that he made other lesser rings. Oh, but they were much lesser and they wouldn't have had these effects. Are you sure? Have you run tests? Right? Do we have, do we have clear testimony about this? Nobody knows what had happened exactly. Right? So, again, to, there, are, there are some things that he knows and that he's clinging to as knowledge. Right? But there's a lot that he knows that he does not know. There's a lot that everyone is still ignorant about. Um, exactly what did Celebrimbor get up to before and after Sauron came in, right? What were those other lesser rings, which Gandalf dismisses when he's talking to Frodo about them? But remember, that's after he's already figured out the real truth, right? That's not necessarily how Gandalf would, Gandalf's thought process would have run you know, right after the quest of Erebor, when he first began to have misgivings in his heart about this particular ring. Um, exactly, Matt. Yeah, the problem is that the peer-reviewed journals from the Second Age uh, were secured behind a paywall, so most people couldn't get access to them. It's been a problem for a really long time. I agree. That's 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 probably it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Anyway, um, all right. 
So his emphasis, Gandalf's emphasis here, is that despite the fact that I knew for a fact it could not possibly be the Great Ring, that was off the table, his heart misgave him. So we have this cognitive dissonance that Gandalf is aware of from the beginning, right? I know it's not the one because we know what happened to the one. Um, But something is bothering me about this ring and I don't know why. I don't know why it bothers me as much as it does. I desire to know how this thing came to Gollum and how long he had possessed it. Okay, so he decides he's going to try to figure out where Gollum's ring came from. Because even if it's not the one, that's probably good to know, right? Because, I mean, clearly this ring is obviously of interest, right? It's obviously a powerful ring of some kind or other, whatever its provenance may be, right? Uh, This is worth knowing, right? So, um, let's, um... Uh, let's let's try to figure this out, right? Let's try to figure out the provenance of that ring. Um, so I set a watch for him, guessing that he would ere long come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure. Um, he came, but he escaped and was not found. Which, by the way, is kind of a, like... So I immediately fired the people that I hired to sit and watch for him because they obviously did a terrible job. Now, Zephan, I don't know who the watch was. Um, I kind of have to assume that it was the Wood Elves. But he doesn't say exactly whom he set to watch for Gollum when he came out. Um, I... It might be the rangers, Turambar, um, if he'd come out on the other side of the mountains. Would he have set the rangers to watch on the east side of the mountains? It's possible that he did so. Um, it's maybe the Bjornings, Tony, conceivably. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Karita is pointing out that he's being very polite. You know, not um, not not blasting anybody, or he's not he's not calling out any names here, right? Um, and I would just like to say, for the record, you know that uh, I, you know wh- whoever it was, like, did a terrible job, and it's all their fault, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he's not um, he's not said exactly. Veronica says mistakes were made. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, O'Malley says, knowing how fond Bjorn was of wizards, it wasn't likely them. Yeah, it's a little hard for me to see the Bjornings being um, in this kind of a relationship with Gandalf. Um, they might be trusty men, uh, as uh, as as Glowen says, but um, I, I doubt that they would be that close to uh, uh, to, to to Gandalf. Um, so um, anyway, so he's. Um, concealing the identity of the watchers that he set up there um, and instead blames himself, right? Um, I let the matter rest, watching and waiting only as we too, we have too often done, right? I just decided to be patient. Now, keep in mind one of the things that's implied here, right? First, one of the things that seems to me to be implied here is that 
this is not the most important thing uh, in his life right now. You know what I mean? Um, uh, he he was interested in finding out about Bilbo's ring, um, but he but although he was interested, um, he doesn't uh, he doesn't prioritize it right above everything else. Um, yeah, Turambar, he does speak, Gandalf does speak the tongues of birds and beasts. It is possible uh, that he set them up to watch. Um, I gotta tell you, I doubt that that's what happened. And the primary reason I doubt that that's what happened is that it's hard for me to imagine the birds and beasts letting Gollum slip past them, right? Uh, a human watch, even an elvish watch, I could see Gollum eluding. Um, but if he'd really set, you know, uh, a, 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 a strict cordon of birds and beasts around, uh, you know, I kind of, th- I can't help but think that that might have been more, uh, more effective, actually. But um, uh, anyway, anyway, um, um, yeah, yeah. One last point I want to make here before we move on. There's a word in this sentence. There's a word in this sentence that I've never really paid attention to. And I'm trying to think if it might be one of the moments when Rob Inglis misspoke in the audiobook version. His darkness. Guessing that he would ere long come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure. I've never noticed that first pronoun. To seek for his treasure, of course. But his darkness, right? Come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure. Instead of saying, come forth from the darkness, which he could well have said, right? Which would have been kind of normal to say, right? But he doesn't say that, right? Instead, he says to come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure. Now it's his darkness in the sense... Um, of being uh, the darkness that he has claimed, <clears throat> right, that he has lived in. But that sentence, that use of the possessive there, seems to be itself, just as uh, his statement, I was lulled by the words of Sarum and the wise, are kind of a foretaste of the revelation that he's going to give later on, that phrasing he would ere long come forth from his darkness to seek for his treasure seems to be a foretaste of book four of the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, Is Gollum going to come forth from his darkness? Is the search for his treasure going to draw him out of his darkness, enable him to emerge from his darkness? Or is it going to bury him deeper in his darkness? And of course, as we will see, um, that's still very much up in the air, right? Um, and Gollum seems to have a choice in that, which is not fully decided, right? Uh, until some tragic moments later on. Um, and Tom, it absolutely does underline his difficulty, Gollum's difficulty in doing so, in coming forth from the darkness. 
Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Gandalf's waxed eyebrows, uh, referring both to the to the physical darkness of his haunt and to his sort of psychological and spiritual darkness induced by the ring. Absolutely, yeah. Now, do I think that that's what Gandalf is alluding to? No, no. He's clearly just talking about him coming out from under the mountains. That's that's what the sentence alludes to. But given how much how important that idea, the question of is Gollum going to emerge from his own spiritual darkness, right? Um, Gandalf has already told Frodo that there is not no hope that Gollum will do so, right? Um, and of course, this is going to be uh, going to become a, a very important issue uh, as we get into book four. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Turambar, I, I agree that Gollum is going to come forth from the physical darkness, and he's going to bring the spiritual darkness along with him. That's exactly it. But that's exactly the question. Is he going to come forth from his darkness? So, um, yeah, I just... And like I said, I've literally never noticed that word. I, I, I've... And I can't even remember... Um, uh, I, I can't even remember whether or not... Because there are a couple places where Rob Inglis misreads the text... Um, a couple, one or two places where he does the wrong voice, uh, but a couple other places where he just misspeaks, as any reader will uh, at times. Uh, and um, and I wonder, I, I I wonder. Anyway, just interesting. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this bit again to see if uh, to see if my theory is right. Anyway, okay. We still got a little time. Let's uh, go on to the next slide. How about that? Time passed with many cares, until my doubts were awakened again to sudden fear. Whence came the hobbit's ring? What, if my fear was true, should be done with it? Those things I must decide. But I spoke yet of my dread to none, knowing the peril of an untimely whisper if it went astray. In all the long wars with the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. That was seventeen years ago. Soon I became aware that spies of many sorts, even beasts and birds, were gathered round the Shire, and my fear grew. I, I called for the help of the Dúnedain, and their watch was doubled, and I opened my heart to Aragorn, the heir of Isildur. Okay. Um, so much here. All right. Um, first, time passed with many cares until my doubts were awakened again to sudden fear. What's he referring to? He's not telling the whole story. He's not giving all the details. But we know it. What's he referring to? Yeah, the birthday party, Bilbo's departure, right? His alarm at Bilbo's action, his call in the ring, his precious, right? Um, that surely is what he's uh, referring to then. His doubts being awakened again to sudden fear. Notice something. He says... He doesn't mention it. Notice how indirect he's being again? Doesn't it seem to you like this is the second time 
that first Elrond and now Gandalf have pointedly avoided telling the story? Right? Um, yeah, Angrist is using the passive voice again. He absolutely is. Um, my, yeah, my doubts were awakened again to sudden fear. He's avoiding telling the story. The same story that Elrond cut in and didn't let Bilbo tell. And that's interesting. Still not 100% sure what to make of that. But it's interesting. Um, and I'm now even more interested in that than I was before. Um, but anyway, whence came the Hobbit's ring? What if my fear was true should be done with it? So now he seems to be, though again, very indirectly, because he's still Gandalf, um, suggesting... Uh, that he now fears. So he dates in this recitation. He is dating his fear that the ring is in fact the ring of power to after Bilbo's party. Right? That now he is actively saying um now he's actively saying I think this was the this is Sauron's ring here. Right? Sauron's ring until proven otherwise. Um Whence came it? How is it? Could it be possible? Right? Now he's not just saying, hey, wouldn't it be kind of nice to know where Bilbo's ring came from? Now he's saying, I need to prove a theory. Right? Because I have a very disquieting theory about Bilbo's ring. And now I really need to confirm whether or not this theory is accurate. Right? Um, Yeah, could it be that Saruman was actually wrong all this time? That has to be one of the other things that he's thinking of there. Gandalf's waxed eyebrows. I completely agree. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tom, I do note that he doesn't say, what if my fear were true? Um, if he used the subjunctive there, he would be expressing a doubt in his fear, right? He's saying, what if my fear was true, right? He's not, uh, that's not a, that's not a, a supposition, right? Uh, if my fear was true, then what should be done with it, right? If that is a fact, then what should be done with it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, those things I must decide. Both, first, how um, how it could possibly have come down to Bilbo. How, and how can we confirm that this is definitely it, right? But also then, now what? What should happen? But I spoke yet of my dread to none, knowing the peril of an untimely whisper if it went astray. Who's he afraid might learn about it? Who's Gandalf keeping this from? In all the long wars with the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. First of all, really? Treason has ever been your greatest foe? How many times have they been betrayed? 
That's a really interesting statement because it's one that is hard to, I mean, it's not that you can come up with no examples, but um, uh, are we allowed to refer to the Silmarillion for this? Um, look, even if we go back to the Silmarillion, um, I mean, we could lump Maeglin in there, right? We could lump Ulf, you know, uh, Ulf, you know, the the Ulfgar, the the, you know, the humans in the near Nith Arnoidiad. Uh, uh, we could do that, right? I'm still. I can still count the betrayals on, like, betrayals, like treason. On what? Like one hand? Right? Um, <laughs> loose lips sink Numenor. Kind of, though. You know, Numenor is kind of hard. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't go to Numenor for an example of treason here. What are, you, what are we going to accuse Sauron of treason? Right? Did anybody think that was a good idea? I mean, it's like, I mean, talk about like, you know, uh, 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 you know, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal, right? I mean, never was that more true than of Sauron in Numenor. I mean, really. Um, uh, I, so, yeah, I mean, yes. Did he betray them? Yes, he did. But seriously, it's... Um, uh, yes, Anatar agreed. Anatar was an example. Yeah, I- I'm willing to grant Anatar. Uh, there's Anatar. There's Myglin. Again, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not trying to say there are no examples of treason. I'm just saying. In all the long wars with the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. With the Dark Tower? So he's not talking about the Silmarillion. He's not talking about treasons I have known in the First Age. He's talking about with Mordor, presumably, in the wars against Sauron. Yeah, Mad Violinist, the Oathbreakers? I mean... Look, I'm not saying the Oathbreakers weren't a big deal, especially for them, right? But, like, did the Oathbreakers turn the tide? I'm just... um, I am absolutely willing to believe, Ambrosius Aurelianus, that there are probably many battles and struggles against the Dark Tower which go unremarked in the Great Histories. Yes. Almost certain. I'm, I'm very ready to believe that. Um, but that by itself is interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, but here's the thing. Is he talking about Saruman? Is he worried about Saruman? This is tricky. This is tricky. Because on the one hand, he has to be. He has to be. Suspicion, at least, 
that Saruman was lying. Because there are two options, right? Gandalf now believes... Now, note he hasn't proven it, right? So Gandalf is reflecting back to what he was thinking at the time. So put yourself in Gandalf's place right after the long-expected party, right? You're basically saying there are three options, right? Either Saruman was wrong, right? Honestly, incorrect. He believed this had happened to the ring, but he was wrong. Or he was lying on purpose, attempting to deceive us about the ring. Or Gandalf is wrong, and it isn't the ring, right? Um, his doubts might have been awakened to sudden fear, um, and his fear, he is thinking, may very well be true, right? Uh, but it's not confirmed yet, so that is still an option, right? Uh, so, but either Saruman was wrong or Saruman was like, it's got to be, it's got to be on the table, right? Can I trust Saruman? Um, cause yeah, if this is the ring of power, then Saruman was either wrong or lying. Um, but for Thoughtless, exactly the problem we have is he's still going to go to Isengard after this. Um, he is still going to trust Saruman. Um, exactly. No, several of you are pointing that out, and that's exactly... This is, this is, this is to me, one of the big challenges here. I want to try to understand this, because I don't know why. I have no answer to that question. It's hard for me to see how his fear of treason it's not just spies of the enemy um, he talked to Frodo about spies of the enemy right and there's plenty of reason to be worried about spies of the enemy right but a spy of Sauron overhearing him telling someone his fears you know the, 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 that would be characterized as treason right Espionage, yes. Treason, no. Um, so, by treason, he has to mean that one of the people that they trust is has turned against them or is going to turn against them. Um, I agree, JJ. If he merely thought that Saruman were mistaken, he wouldn't explicitly link it um, to treason, right? Um, Saruman being wrong isn't treason, right? Lamentable, perhaps, but it isn't treason. Um, Angris, that is one possibility. One possibility is that Gandalf is imp- imperfectly relating his story from a historical standpoint that he is projecting back upon his general caution then uh, something which has proven to be the case later on do you understand what I mean by that um yeah um 
Tony, uh, Tony just referred to the uh, Tolkien building on this in Unfinished Tales. That passage in Unfinished Tales that you're thinking of, Tony, is exactly like I am trying as hard as I can to avoid that passage. That's actually that passage, as much as I really kind of like it in a lot of ways, um, that passage is one of my least favorite passages in Tolkien, actually. Um, I, you want a plot hole? That's a plot hole, in my opinion. Um, I cannot reconcile it. I cannot reconcile it. Um, if that happened... So, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain. In Unfinished Tales, Tolkien depicts Gandalf as not only being suspicious that Saruman was lying at the time during that White Council meeting, but Gandalf also making the open implication to Saruman that not only was he lying, but that his own, Saruman's own desire, personal desire for the ring was causing him to lie. The version of the story that Tolkien tells about it in Unfinished Tales um, suggests that Gandalf knew Saruman was lying and knew that he was being caused to lie by his desire for the Ring of Power at that meeting when he said that business about the ring being rolled down the river to the sea. And honestly, um, I can't. Like, I just... I I can't reconcile that. I just can't. I've never been able to reconcile it. Like, that, to me, that just doesn't fit the story at all. It does not work. Um, uh, and um, so anyway, yeah, I just, yeah. JJ says that was just Gandalf telling the story later, trying to make, make himself look good. Well, sort of. I mean, you know, in a sense. Um, but... Um, but anyway, yeah, so, Tony, that's precisely the problem that, because I think, uh, we're going to have a problem. We're going to have a problem, like, in a matter of paragraphs, if Gandalf is already, if his first thought is, Saruman is a traitor. If that's his first thought, we're going to have troubles, right? Um, I am very willing to believe that Tolkien writing extra stories about the wizards later on, wrote a version of the story where the retcon does not succeed really well. I'm perfectly willing to believe that. That's how I, that's how, that's my own personal explanation for that story. Uh, especially because it's a fun story uh, that involves smoke rings. Um, but, um, but this is internal consistency of this narrative, not just of the Lord of the Rings narrative, of Gandalf's narrative in this chapter, right? And I that uh, is a lot harder, right? Um, so the um, the idea that he is kind of projecting backwards his retrospective thoughts about it. Right. Um, that is uh, that now the first thing that he thinks of is treason. Right. I, th this doesn't mean that it was untrue that Gandalf was speaking of his dread. So the historical statement. Right. At the time of the long expected party, the thing that bears historical weight is Gandalf saying, I spoke yet of my dread to none. Right. I didn't tell anybody. Knowing the peril of an untimely whisper if it went astray. And that's certainly true. 
right? Because there are spies of the enemy all over the place. Uh, I mean, goodness, look how cautious Aragorn is, right? So absolutely, be, uh, at the time, he doubtless was, like, this is a pretty big question, right? And so, no, he's not going to go down to the Green Dragon and be speculating. Like, you know, I wonder, anybody ever think whether or not Bilbo's ring might be the one ring of, uh, of, 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 of Sauron, right? Did that thought ever occur to anybody else, right? He's not going to talk about this in public. Right. Um, so that he didn't speak of his dread, that he knows the peril of an untimely whisper, that he doesn't want it to go astray, meaning astray see, seems to suggest that it would get to the enemy. Right. Um, that last sentence, though, could be a n- not him. So and notice he doesn't actually even put that in the past tense. Right. He doesn't say that he thought at the time in all the long wars with the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. Um, that's a current reflection on it, right? Um, which does give the impression that that's what, one, that's what was motivating him at the time. But maybe this, <clears throat> this is a further reflection that he's offering now, again in the spirit of preparing people for the revelation that's going to come not too long from now about the treason of Saruman. Like, brace yourself, right? I was lulled by the words of Saruman. Now I'm talking about treason, right? Um, I hope that you can see what I'm building up to so nobody faints when I get there, right? Um, Yeah. That was 17 years ago. Soon I became aware that spies of many sorts, even beasts and birds were gathered round the Shire, and my fear grew. Um, Spies of many sorts, even beasts and birds were... Now, I saw some of you asking, how do you... How can you tell when a beast or bird is acting as a spy for somebody? Um, I would, um, I would suggest that it's probably not, uh, like how they're acting, right? (laughs) It's, it's the shades, says Tom. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that, yeah, that they, they, they've, uh, just looking really, uh, really dubious. Yeah, Edith, I think that's very likely. Exactly. Yeah, it's probably the species of creature, right? Um, Finding creatures that don't normally come here now are suddenly all around the borders of the Shire. Yeah, Belongsman says they they look fair but feel foul, right? Um, And some of them probably more foul than others. Yeah, exactly. Um... Uh, but I agree, JJ, probably not Robins. Uh, they're good birds in all the stories. I, 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 I agree. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's probably what we're talking about here. Um, uh, yeah, Corey, but the fox is clearly fine, right? Not suspicious at all, right? You can tell. Uh, how I mean, unless the fox was a very cunning double agent indeed, uh, but yeah, probably, probably not. Um, <laughs> no man, 
I refuse to believe it of the fox. You can you can you can think that the fox was a spy of the enemy if you want, but uh, um, but I'm not saying you know it's possible that somebody could get to the fox and lean on him, right, so that he could tell him all that he'd seen. Uh, but you know I like to think that the fox got away with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway. <laughs> I, I see. I also think uh, eyebrows that the poor fox was just minding his own business. But of course, if he were a really effective spy, that's just what you know. Ju- that's just what you would think. Um, anyway, we know what's really happening there. W- what was really happening there? Who sent the spies? Why are there spies gathering around the shire? Who sent the spies? Saruman sent the spies. We know that for sure. Uh, Gandalf didn't know that at the time, but we know that for sure because Sauron hasn't even found the Shire. He doesn't even know where the Shire is. Right? Remember the the Ringwraiths are going out, being like, "Hi, excuse me. Uh, have you do you know where the Shire is? Have you ever heard of? The Shire? Can I get directions to the Shire right there? I mean, they're winding their way across the continent, asking door to door." where to find the Shire. If Sauron already knew where to send his spies, you'd think the Black Riders would have made a beeline there, right? Um, so, um, so yeah, the Nazgul are the first of Sauron's spies to show up uh, at, uh, at Bag End. But Gandalf doesn't know that, right? Gandalf certainly doesn't know that. Um, Right, Tom is suggesting that the the birds and beasts that uh, Gandalf was seeing might possibly have been sent by Lobelia in the hope of scoring some more spoons. Also possible. Also possible. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So so we know we know that that's not the case. But again, you're Gandalf, right? You're Gandalf, and it's 17 years ago, um, and you've just realized, holy cow. Bilbo's ring is probably the one ring. Mind blown, right? I didn't think it was possible. I had some, you know, I had this fear. My heart was telling me, my heart was misgiving me, right? But I was like, no, it can't be that. It can't be, we know it can't be the ring. It can't be the ring. It's got to be something else, right? I got to just let it go. It's going to be okay. And then wham, holy cow, it's probably the ring of power. And now there are spies everywhere. What are you going to, what, what, what else is he going to think, Right? That these are the spies of an enemy within their, with it, with you know, hiding within their own ranks, that he's been betrayed by you know one of his closest colleagues. No, right? That's not gonna be where he's first gonna go, right? Um, so he is suspicious that spies of the enemy are at hand. Remember, he talked to Frodo about spies of the enemy being at hand. They thought that Sam outside the window might be a spy of the enemy, right? Um, So there's nothing unreasonable about this. But remember that Gandalf has already said to Frodo that they were, they overestimated Sauron. They overestimated the danger from Sauron. Um, Very natural that they should do so, right? I called for the help of the Dúnedain, and their watch was doubled, and I opened my heart to Aragorn, the heir of Isildur. Now, 
their watch was doubled. Of course, they were already watching the Shire, obviously, right? <clears throat> They've been protecting the Shire for some time. Um, they didn't begin their watch on the Shire. They doubled their watch on the Shire, right? Um, and he opens his heart to Aragorn. So I told Aragorn my fears. And he introduces him, right? I opened my heart to Aragorn, the heir of Isildur. Um, almost as if to explain why he opened his heart to Aragorn. Um, like, pointing to the fact that it was fitting that he do so, right? Uh, fitting that he should open his heart to Aragorn, since he's the heir of Isildur and all, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Enoch says, is Gandalf implying that he told Aragorn before he told Elrond and Goadriel? 100% yes. I think that that is exactly what he is implying. Now, um, does it say that he never uh, told Elrond? No, he told Elrond, I'm sure. Did he tell Aragorn first? I think he might have done. Um, he leaves the Shire pretty quickly after the party, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could go both ways about that. Um, Enoch. It doesn't mean he necessarily has to be running off to Aragorn straight from Bag End right after the party, right? Um, he could well have gone to Elrond first um, and talked with him about it and then decided. Because my question would be, when in the sequence of events here did he perceive this, that the spies of many swords were gathered around the Shire, right? Um, he says, soon I became aware of this, right? But again, we know he left Bag End very soon, right? Um, Frodo was hoping that he would stick around, but he leaves that same night, right? Um, does he right then become aware of the spies? Uh, if so, then he might go to Aragorn immediately, right? Um, on the way out, Tony. I could absolutely see that. So it's impossible to say. It depends on... Uh, but like, do I certainly don't think it impossible or even unlikely that he might have told it, uh, Aragorn before he told Elrond. Um, because what's Elrond going to do about it? I mean, advise him, right? But, uh, uh, but uh, there's no real reason to think that, you know, he like would feel a responsibility to tell, like, there would be a, a bad thing to, like, not run straight to Elrond with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Matt says, uh, he says, I just now realized that the hobbits may have noticed when the watch was doubled, uh, when there was an increase in the number of big people and the trouble they're having with them in the South Farthing. Um, yeah. Or maybe they noticed the spies, for that matter, right? Uh, it's possible. Either way is uh, is possible. Um, yeah. Um, the, the Rangers would likely be more discreet. Possibly. I mean, yeah. Probably. Probably. Um, 
but Zeph, and that's just what I was building up to. Um, why bring up the whole era of Isildur business again now? Like we've established Aragorn's credentials, right? We don't need to keep, you know, flashing his ID card every time we refer to him. Um, it does make it sound like for some reason he feels this fitting or like he, he is offering this almost as further justification, right? Which Aragorn is going to immediately pick up on and emphasize himself, right? Um, but um, uh, it's almost like he's handing Aragorn the transition, the segue, right? Um but uh, but yeah, Tony, because it's Aragorn's mission to defeat Sauron, seems like the logical point there, right? Um, Aragorn is the heir of Isildur. He is the ancestral enemy. Uh, you know, we, we've established, not just established who he is, but we've established what that means, right? Remember with the broken sword and following in the footsteps of Elendil and being willing to die and all these other things, right? We've established that that this is his job and this is his role. And Gandalf is saying, I knew this about him, right? I knew that Aragorn is professionally committed to the war against Sauron. And therefore, I opened my heart to him. That made sense, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right, good. I could go on to another slide, but I should not do. Uh, it's getting late. I've been feeling bad. I, I've been kind of creeping later and later uh, with class and with my field trip times. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and not do that. Uh, so, um, uh, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop here. Um, uh, Aragorn is going to break in with his speech. Uh, next time, and we'll talk about what they did next. Um, but um, there we go. There we go. Um, all right, not, not idly do the leaves turn, Tom says. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so I'm going to say goodnight to the folks. Actually, it looks like my Twitter crashed a little while back. Um, but um, awesome. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for joining. We're going to go, we're going to do the. Uh, field trip now all right there we go <laughs> hey there yeah it looks like Good my uh, my periscope has been my twitter thing has been uh dubious all right we're heading back mm. to angmar so i'm gonna go up to gathforth near again um all right yeah my periscope has been having issues lately it just mm. crashed about three quarters of the way through class tonight not sure why yeah. All right. But yeah, it, it is interesting to hear all this uh, very indirect diplomatic sort of language being yeah. used the entire time. It does make it, it yeah, it's <laughs> the other thing it makes me wonder is if the guilty parties are in his presence and he's just sort of actively avoiding directly accusing them at that point. <laughs> you know, things happened. <coughs> Legolas. <coughs> right, and, yeah, uh, exactly. Gollum, the, Gollum escaped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, or just, you know, maybe it's within Legolas, if it is Legolas's fault, or that is if it is the mm -hmm. Wood Elves' fault, 
you know, then maybe uh-huh. he's just saving them. Because, like, Legos is himself going to be, you know, confessing their incompetence soon enough, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so he's just kind of waiting uh, for them to bring the hammer down on themselves there rather than having to do it in yes. his own self. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's actually it's a question I very rarely ask myself. Of whom Gandalf set to watch. Because uh-huh. uh, I really... I kind of think it has to be the elves. I mean, it's, uh-huh. you know, them or the Dunedain are really the only two. I mean, you know, we see him acting, you know, with both of them uh, during this yeah. whole segment, right? Uh-huh. The whole Gollum related segment. Uh, but I, um, yeah, it's just, uh, like what a failing report card for the wood elves across the board, right? I mean, like, did they do anything? Can't you hicks right? do anything right? Yeah, I mean, they didn't. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like Stupid one hicks. failure after another. Uh, I mean, you didn't, you couldn't, you couldn't see him when he came out, right? He slipped past you. You couldn't find uh-huh. him again after he was on the loose, and then you couldn't even keep him when we handed him to you. I mean, what else has not had a great track record of keeping prisoners, though? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. Too much Dorwinian red. We've decided to entrust uh, Gollum to your keeping because um, we know your prisons are super secure, right? So uh, <laughs> the odds of anybody escaping from your prison are practically nil. So. Yeah. I mean, you still got the same jailer, but I'm sure he's learned his lesson by now, right? I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. Still drinking not quite as heavily as before, you know, so... Yes, he's going to meetings now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Arden Cran suggests that Gandalf wrote letters of warning uh, uh, about Gollum to all the good peoples of Mirkwood, uh, but unfortunately he left the letters with uh, Butterbur for delivery, so... Oh, no! Uh, it didn't work out, yeah. In one ear and out another. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that makes me wonder is whether it's a courtly language thing, because we are in the home of the elves, and as we've mentioned before, elves are very indirect. That's just in their nature. It makes me wonder if Gandalf is adapting to the style of speech you should take and use Maybe. in an elven court discussion. Maybe. I mean, he's like there's... fairly indirect himself. under, but But usually when Gandalf is dodging, he's normally dodging about... You know, like theological matters, basically. <laughs> uh, Don't mention the big V over here. No, no, yeah, no. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. All right. So we're tonight. Okay. We are headed down towards Baragularan, right? Ooh, yes. Because we, we, I think we pretty much finished Imlad Balhorth. Mm-hmm. So I think if we head down that way. All right. Let us. So we still got some people arriving. I don't know if they're arriving to come with us, but if they do, they will have seen us leaving, so. Yep. All right. Let's see. Yeah, we go out to the main road. Come out to the main road and take a left this time instead of going south. Lots of pretty spiders. 
They come in such beautiful colors here. They really are the prettiest thing in this landscape. <laughs> it's true, especially given how monochrome everything else is. Um, I know. The tents, of course, those tents are quite nice as well. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The spiders are like uh, little the bursts amazing of bright color. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's true. Fermius Bougian was pointing out that as far as we know, uh, the cells themselves uh, are quite secure, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, they couldn't have got out without Bilbo getting key. That's for exactly sure. Exactly right. Is this a roving threat? Well, rare leap master. Whoa, who is Hang that? Uh, got near... Oh, he's going right for you. Oh, well, that's okay. He won't get me. Whoa, dear! No, rare and master indeed. So, what was he? Just a. It looked like some sort of cockgul, but yeah. like a gray version. Wow, never seen that guy. I wonder what the gray would be. Something ghoul with. So he's just a random elite mob. Yeah, pretty much. Like the gigantic hand. Yeah, like the gigantic hand. Hang on a second. It's another one of these. Mm-hmm. Ooh, lady priest. Yeah. Angmarim priest. This one is... Uh-huh. I'm looking at her staff here. With the eye on top? Oh, funny. It disappeared when the arrow came. Um, huh. The staff. She had no more staff in her hand when she was lying dead. Um, someone yeah. looted her corpse even before she died. Jeepers. Uh, so we have this one of the altars with a shiny iron crown on it. Again, under yep. one of the pavilions, which looks like one of the uh, pavilions of the... Oh, I'm forgetting the name again. The Trev Galorg, is that it? No, there were, those are the good guys. Um, Trev Galorg, are the guys at Duvar, Duvardine? Trev, Trev Duvardine, that's it. That's Trev it. Duvardine, there we go. Um, yes, thank you. Edith. That's it. Um, so this this tent looks like them. This pavilion, I should say, looks like them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, in the service of Angmar. Yep. Yeah, still trying to figure out exactly the dynamics there. Well, now this is a, a nice view, as that's where we're mm-hmm. headed. Evil postcard. It is like an evil postcard. Um, hmm. Trying to date it. I mean, it looks like old Angmar, right? Except the spikes at the top uh, uh-huh. look kind of like the new Angmar the, spikes, but I think there's. Yeah, the evil radio antenna. Exactly. They could have added those, could they? But from a distance, mm-hmm. it does look like this is an older structure. And it's it's definitely... Um, it looks like there's... On the map, it looks like there's eight spires around the central one. So, nine total. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, Trifle was just saying in the Twitch chat that uh, he was in a Numinous the other day, and the Angmarim there have these same tents, but there are no Trey Duverdine. 
Okay. See, that did I did have suspicions about that. I did mention that it yeah. would be interesting to compare them to the Angmar around Lake Evendim because yes. I know I'd seen tents like these. So it would imply that these are sort of the Black Numenorean aesthetic. Okay, but you see... Thank you for looking that up. This... Mm-hmm. This leads me to a further... Hey, this is a much brighter version of the postcard. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got, we got out from under the, from under the clouds there. Weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, okay. So, now here, here's what I'm thinking now. Wait, who's the dwarf? Uh-huh. Uh, dower hand. Yeah. Why, why are there dower hands here? Well, they are making an alignment. Where have we seen dower hands? I haven't seen any uh... dower hands I think each of these towers has a, their own theme, honestly. Are there dower hands that live in Barad Gurloran themselves? It's a... I don't know, but maybe. Huh. I think so. I think yeah. I think like each area had its own sort of, you know, evil bosses. So I would. I th yeah. I'm pretty sure one of them is dower hand. So it. Um, so when we're looking at the the tents then it does seem to indicate that the the more the, the orange slices and the and the yeah. dual and the bi bifurcated do, uh, dual color ten dawnings seem to come from the angmarum themselves while the trade duver dime ones are the ones that we see that are all the all the different pelts stitched together right okay i have a radical theory this leads me to a radical theory okay here's my radical theory Originally, in old Angmar, the Angmarim were invaders. That is, they were like so. Like the witch, the witch king brought a posse the first time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah. He, he imported folks, so they were not the natives of the region. The natives of the no. region were like the Trave Duverdain and the others, the Trave mm -hmm. Galorg, uh, and the others. Those were like the hillmen who lived here. Right. Okay. Now, they were yep. corrupted to the service of Angmar, we're told, right? Mm -hmm. So eventually, they come to uh, they come to serve Angmar. Um, but again, originally, you've got the, you know, you've got the Angmarim who are coming in and who are both, like, oppressing and also recruiting the hillmen mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah, all the red, all the red cloaks. <laughs> exactly. But, but, <clears throat> now, I wonder if that's not the case anymore. Because the Witch King doesn't exactly have a whole bunch of surplus armies to import into the north of, you know, old Arnor here, right? Yeah. Here's what I'm wondering. What if the Angmarim, the modern Angmarim, this second wave of Angmarim, are the Trave Duverdine? What if they are the... So, like, what happened here is not we've got a second influx of like evil new, uh, you know, evil um, uh, Angmarim, right? Who come uh -huh. from somewhere else, goodness knows where, imported again by the Witch King or exported by the Witch King because he's not here this time. Um, well, he is, except he's not. It's, you know what I mean. He's not an Angmar, uh -huh. right? He's not set, set up an Angmar this time. Um, but he sends, 
you know, Mordorith up here to start whipping up operations again in the north. Okay. So what Mordorith then has to do is, you know, he doesn't get, like the Witch King brought in an army of folks the first time, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, with, um, so that's what, that's what the Witch King does the first time. But this time he doesn't have an army to send with Mordorith into the north. So instead, yeah. he just sends Mordorith and, like, the other uh, folks, right? Minions. <laughs> like, uh, some other minions. Not necessarily, like, a whole bunch of Angmarim, but I mean, like, spiritual minions. Like the other, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the other, uh, the other spiritual, uh, the other, uh, like, wicked spirits and stuff. Uh, so he, he sent you know, some of those with him. Uh-huh. So Mordorith shows up, and he's like, hey, guys, Iron Crown is back, Right? Karn Doom is back in action and so many <laughs> of those who were part of his follow, you know, who were part of the following, you know, those who still followed the traditions of Angmar, the hillmen who still remember their allegiance yeah. to Angmar of old, convert essentially. Oh, okay. Right? Um, so there mm-hmm. are the Angmarim. So like the ones in the robes and everybody, they are Angmarim, but they're like they are from the trade of Duverdine. There, there's not, there's, there isn't really a difference. Um, there are, I mean, there is obviously there's a difference in that. Like some of them dress differently. But what I mean is, this would help to explain why I was having such a hard time at the previous encampment, the one by the fishing village, right up, yeah. up in Himbar. Um, yeah. Why I was having such a hard time trying to figure out the dynamics, like who is dominating whom, right? Why were there Angmarim, people in Angmarim robes hoeing the fields while there were, you know, hillmen uh, from, you know, dressed in traditional garb from the woods appearing to watch over them as if they were the superiors and the Angmarim were the inferiors, right? Well, mm-hmm. an answer to that would be they're all the same. They're all part of the same culture. Some of them have officially become the followers Exactly, Trifle. So Angmar is now a cult, not a people. Yes, exactly. Some that of makes them a lot of sense. Have left yeah. their traditional traditions, right, of, of dress and, <laughs> and of, 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 you know, occupation and stuff like that, right, and have become priests and priestesses uh, of Angmar, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we see them worshiping, like we just saw, right, uh, iron yeah. crown altars with fancy blue flames beneath what looks for all the world like a traditional Trave du Verdine canopy. And it would also explain, Trifle, why when you meet Angmarim elsewhere, they're using those canopies, right? Yeah. Because they're, they're those, they are Trave du Verdine. They've just, they're moving south, right? Uh, in obedience to uh, their overlords. Um, yeah. That's my radical new theory. That's cool. It also implies that they're getting supplies from somewhere else as well, then. Like, mm-hmm. for the fancy robes and the fancy yes. everything else. They have yes. some sort of textile manufacturing that has nothing to do with this. Maybe out of supplies at the Shire, who knows? Right. And it would create a really interesting dynamic, uh, which has an interesting interaction with the stuff that we've been looking at architecturally, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, if we, we think... Know of... for... Sorry, Sorry but... we know for a fact there is a trade route through here. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. So if we think about then what, yeah, actually this makes sense of a whole bunch of things, architecturally speaking, of stuff that we've been seeing. 
Um, mm-hmm. There are places where we can see the old Hillman culture, right? Huh. Yeah. But then where we can see the old Angmarim fortresses built by old Angmar, right? Yeah. And then new Angmar kind of imposed back back among them. But but we still see everybody all just still kind of living together, right? Yeah. So if this is what happened, it would make sense. So it would be first the Hillmen were living in their own separate cultures, right? And then the Witch King and Angmar comes and and uh, suppresses their original culture and brings them into the worship of Sauron and the the sort of the reverence for the Iron Crown, right? <laughs> their Tudor style barracks, right? But they're but they're still outsiders, right? Imposing this new culture upon the Hillmen, but then they that is the Angmarim and the Witch King himself, go away, right? After yeah. 1974, and uh, the Witch King is defeated by um, the Numenorians, you know, the Gondorians, that is to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Angmar is destroyed to the least and last. Uh, they are, Their armies march out, and they don't come back, leaving only the Hillmen, right, who now remain, and they take over. That is like, of course, what do you do, right? You're ba- you're in this land where you know your overlords, your foreign overlords who came in, are now uh, are now gone, right? They leave and they don't come back. Well, you live in their buildings, right? You take over uh, these old fortifications yeah. and things, not without any memory necessary of your old allegiance, right? You can totally do that. Um, yeah. But now, when they come back again, um, not they, not the overlords, right? But like the gods of those overlords, right? The spirits of those overlords. Um, yeah, the Cargols and the Nazgul. Exactly, right? And the Cargols themselves also fit into this picture, if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. We know we know from watching Amdir at the very beginning, right, how Cargols mm-hmm. get to be Cargols. We saw one um, we saw one formed, right? Yes. And so presumably, that also helps to explain like that Cargol in the fishing village, Right. He could be yeah. a local, right? So what do you do? <laughs> like, you turn, you know, the Bordereth would have had, like, some Morgul weapons, right? Stabity stab, you turn one of the local people, right? And now he's a Cargul. Probably a leader. Probably yeah, a leader. exactly. You go to the local leader of that village, you turn him into a Cargul. Now he is like, yes, my lord, I am a, I am now, a, you know, a, 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 a wraith who obeys the raids, right? And, yep. um... Uh, but and so he's going to bring. So now a large portion of the population says, "Hey, okay, right? Oh yes, right. The worship of the Iron Crown. We remember all this. Absolutely. Um, it's been, you know, more than a thousand years. But um, um, but sure, right? Let's go back to that by all means. And uh, and so some of us are going to become priests and priestesses uh, of the, you know, of 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 the the, the Dark Lord and and the Red Eye and the Iron Crown. Um, and we're going to put on the nice fancy new gray and or purple robes and things. Um, but we're still intermingling, and so even some of us who wear the robes of the Angmarim are still going to be hoeing the fields. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, works. Yeah, it, works. it, it it's work. still it still feeds the assimilation theory, but it's a longer game than we thought. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, Trifle was just saying uh, you could also have some Angmarim staying, but without the support of the Witch King, they would just kind of assimilate with the Hillmen and become one people yeah. afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and then yes, exactly. More than a thousand years has passed since that time. So the uh, the descendants of the old. Angmarim in bed. In fact, Trifle, 
this is really quite delightful, right? What do we have? We have, in fact, a parallel to the Numenorean situation in Gondor, right? Where you yeah. have the indigenous Gondorians and you have the Numenorians who come in and who accept them as lords and, like, you know, revere the things that they revere and uh, embrace their battles and their wars, right? Um, but then... Uh, you don't have Gondor falling in the same way, not nearly as catastrophically, of course, as Angmar fell, obviously. But you've got, you know, the the loss of the king and everything else over time and whatever. But but you have this the assimilation of the Numenorean culture with the indigenous culture and uh, the, the the decline of. Uh, and so I'm sure, like you know, um, in few of the of the Angmarim, uh, you know, nowadays does the blood of old Angmar still run true. You know, uh, I'm oh, sure. man, it's like the angles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I like it. I, 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 I never thought yeah. of that parallel before, but it works. It works. Or it's really Poles. interesting. Um, this is Poland. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on in. If you invaded us, you'd be home by now. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. Um, so, all right. Sorry, we're like... Not making much pro- much progress, <laughs> here, but um, yeah. But this is this is an interesting theory. This works. Okay, wait. How, how do we get up there? I have a hard time navigating in this area. Uh, it's it's a it's a big circle. So eventually, they'll come to something. Yeah. Who's this? Oh, it's a warg. Okay. Pretty pretty beat up looking warg. Yeah. Ah. Okay, an orc banner, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an interesting hand. Like, with the fingers. Look, the, the, the articulation of the fingers is really interesting. Um, oh, yeah. It's not just claws, right? Um, it looks like... How would you describe the relationship between the hand and the, and the crown? It looks like it's reaching for it, but it isn't touching it. Like it's reaching and, for it? Like it cause it's almost yeah. like it's upholding it? But but not quite. Yeah. The fingers are too too reachy, right? To, for, uh, to be as, upholding. As a professional artist, I have to say, hands are freaking hard. Yeah, this, I can. This guy that. was skilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoever they got a skilled artist to do. I mean, especially the way that the, the way that the pinky goes differently from the other fingers, like that's yeah. kind of good. Yeah. And the way, even like that kind of like. Sh- you know, shading with which the wrist breaks off there instead of just having it like be two lines or having it be a you know that does make it look like a severed hand though. well a little bit a very roughly severed hand but that's of course not a terrible thing I suppose on an orc banner um, but yeah I, I'm just trying to understand because yeah. presumably the hand represents the orcs themselves right so we've got the crown and I love yep. the way, and, and this, of course, is not unique to this banner, but I love the way that the eye and the crown are kind of combined, you know, iconographically, right, into the one symbol there, how the bottom of it looks like the eye, but the top of it looks like the crown. Um, yep. And I think that's really cool. But the hand, of course, notice how much more detail. I mean, like, look at the... Like the 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 eye and the crown is a is a very flat two di- two dimensional icon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the hand is a very three dimensional a th- very three dimensionally rendered object in that image. Yep. Um, 
the hand has this significant depth that the eye slash crown does not have. It's clear that the hand is what's being identified with the orcs whose banner this is, right? Does that yeah. seem fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, the artist was very clear, though, to make sure that the no part of the hand was touching the crown, though. Exactly. That was, a deli- that was deliberate. Yeah, clearly. They're upholding the crown, but they don't get to approach it. <laughs> and yet, it's, I can't help but feel that it's vaguely threatening. You know? Like, like the hand... Like the hand's going to take over the crown? Yeah, like it's. I mean, look how much bigger the hand is for one thing. I know, right? it's, but well, it's such a delicate hand, though. It doesn't look like I a know. big, rough, There's orcish no paw at all. Yeah, it, it it really. I mean, it's not like it looks manicured or something, but I agree. It, it I looks more human. Go so far as gentle hand, but it's certainly not a a clawed fist. Yeah, no, I it's. I'd say it's human. Uh, this is a human hand, not an orc. You think hand. it's a human hand? I definitely think it's a human hand. Let's get a look at some of these orcs and get a look. Let's see. All right. Excuse me, sir. Hand inspector. No, well, this guy kind of has a humanish hand, but he's the the archer guy. He's just that's the the artisan hand here. But yeah, yeah so this, this guy, guy's yeah, hands he's look nothing like. Nah, nah. This is a big claws, and that's. Besides which, although, yeah, well, like, you know, that guy might very, very cunningly conceal an artistic temperament uh, beneath that frame uh, and behind that face, it would seem really unlikely. Yeah. Well, we've seen their handiwork before. It's, like, you know, it's usually pretty slovenly and not at all. There's no there's no care in it. It's covered in stains and drips. And yeah, quite a bit. See, now, Their hands are usually just handprints, actually, yes, from what we've seen. Yes, exactly. And I, I don't remember anything like that. Uh, that Again, like the, the 3D rendering on that hand is really good, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very interesting. I, we've seen this before, I feel sure. Not with the spikes on the cauldron. That's what I was wondering. Have we seen the the cauldron? The, Hot crown here. I, I kind of renders it kind of useless. You can't really turn it over now, no, can you? You can't. But um, is this meant How to be? How many spikes on that? A cook fire made symbolic. One, two, three, four, so, five, um, six, seven, eight. I'm seeing eight again, just like around at Bal- Gula, Gula, oh, sorry, around Balagularon. There's eight spires around Balagularon as well. Okay, oh, and there are so, eight spires no. around the cauldron? Yeah. So it's a local shrine then? Meant to replicate the tower itself? Maybe. I don't know enough about Balagularon to know what it'd be for, though. Hmm. Ah, no. there, there's there's teeth on the bottom of the, the iron trough at the bottom. Right. It's like a right. big mouth. It is like a big mouth. With the spears then on the side being like tusks. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. wonder if this is in tribute to the Witch King instead of Sauron. Right, so then the cauldron is like the crown atop the head, 
and you've got the single eye in the middle. Uh-huh. The and, big mouth to devour you all. Right. And then the mouth of flame, right? Like it's like the gaping mouth of flame. Mm-hmm. Okay, so look at that. So even even this shrine is then kind of abstract. Yeah. And uh, if if Amalia is correct, she's pointing out that it's if it's a forge, which seems likely, or it used to be, right? Then a forge turned shrine is uh, even more apt, as it were, for Sauron. Right now, Sikoyetska mm-hmm. uh, 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 on the Twitch chat was saying that. The hand is probably the white hand of Saruman, which is why it looks like a delicate human hand instead of a, an orc claw. Let's see. Uh, we killed all the orcs. What are they called? Oh, they say they're white hand. There we go. White hand yeah, archer, white hand warmonger. So these are the white hand is Sauron. Then there we go. But that still, to me, doesn't make it any less unusual. Like we've not seen that in other. Saruman or decorations, yeah. I mean, it, that's... it wasn't like this in Farnost. No, I don't remember seeing mm. anything like that. Um, I mean, if it is meant to be, if it is an orc banner done by white hand orcs, um, it would explain why they didn't make the hand look like a claw. Yeah, aspiring to their human creator. Right, but it certainly shows a fair. A fairly impressive degree of insight <laughs> into Sar- you know Saruman grasping for the eye and crown. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds like Saruman commissioned them so he wouldn't look bad, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. it's also pretty open. I mean, open I in competition to the. I mean, it certainly would explain why the the white hand is both simultaneously like upholding the eye and grasping at the eye, right? I mean, it, it works, yeah. totally works if it's Saruman, but... That's subconscious right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe it's just kind of coming through, right? Shining through yeah. his true intentions. Um, interesting that the rest of this place is a complete dump. I mean, just like literally <laughs> trash sitting around everywhere else. Uh, yeah, rubbish. yeah. We have our beautiful shrine, and then we just got crap everywhere. It really just should, undermines their priorities. It's like yeah. must have our must have our altar for sacrifices. Altar, which is not to... only nice but like interesting and, and with this like abstract uh, sort of almost semi-allegorical construction, right? Symmetrical, aesthetically pleasing, yeah. Right. And, they're, and they're, they're a complex fascinating bunch. banners. And then and now over here we've got some white factories. Oh uh, yeah. Oryx? Heads? Yeah, well, there were a lot of those outside of Angmar. Yeah. Yeah, Oryx and Plenty. And why this tent in the middle? Interesting. Uh, to block our entry. I guess so. Um, and then, of course, we, like, didn't even give a second glance to the big ol' uh... Minas Kaul. Yeah, the, 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 the big old... No, I mean the statues. Oh, side. okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. have, like, trash fetched up against them. 
It's so like they, they care more about their ideas than any of the yeah. Angmarum's ideas. <laughs> These statues are junk. We'll make our own. Exactly, right? Oh, yeah, look at the ancient, like, brooding evil statues. Let's, um, let's start the junk pile right at their feet. Yeah, I wonder if the orcs feel kind of intimidated by these as well, and they don't like them. Yeah. Maybe. Though you'd think that they might show some deference. They might sort of express their deference. But maybe mm, not. Not well. It really does show you where their priorities lie. Right. So well, Minas Column. We know Minas means tower, right? Yes. So. Yeah. Column. Say, I was just about to go in, but actually, I probably shouldn't go in. It's getting late. <laughs> I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and end on time, uh, instead of creeping later and later all the time. Okay. Uh, if I kept okay. on the path that I was going, we'd be going until like 1 a.m. every week, and I that's I shouldn't uh. do that. Um, it's summer vacation now. Time has no meaning. Well, yeah. Well. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's see. are the ones the banner? These the same banners over here? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they are. So, uh, if you watchers know of uh, any instance where we might have seen these banners and overlooked them, please be sure to let us know before yeah, next week. Agreed. I, I. I... I want to see, yes. If there's anywhere else we've seen the banners, I would like to know that. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion for us, but I'm not sure. Okay. It's been so long since we were out there. Because, yeah, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to figure out. So I, and, and also, so this can be sort of homework for next week. If somebody <laughs> can help me to remember, because I've done the Barad Gularon quests before, but it was years Mythgard ago. Mondays, yeah. yeah it was years I remember ago doing those did. with you. And uh, yeah. yeah, and even then, when we did them in Mythgard Monday, I remember trying to like listen to the voiceover and like I couldn't even read people's oh, dialogue yeah. before people like were killed and stuff. So yeah, yeah, everything just kept freezing because all the things came all at once. Yeah, exactly. That was that was tough. Anyway, so yeah, so so for next week, I would like to try to remember. Um, what the story is here. Like, people were talking about how there were dower hands here. Like, well, okay, why are there dower hands here? How did they get here? What's going on with that? So I'm, I, I have vague memories, but I'm trying to recall more clearly uh, because I, I, I would like to try to fit Barad Gulon a little bit more into the narrative of the region, especially as it has been evolving uh, in our oh, discussions yeah. here. So, okay. I only remember trying to keep you alive. The yeah, I exactly. I was just trying to stay alive and uh, get through it and say I was bang. That was a long time ago. This is the one where you jump and go, what could go wrong? And I just go, ah. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, those are fun days. All right, yeah. cool. All right, well, I'm going to let everybody go because it's, it's getting late already. Um, but um, we will uh, we will pick up here next. We'll come back to Bard Gularon again next week and see what we can learn and discover circling around other parts of the other parts of the towers and see if folks can help me remember uh, uh, remind me of the quest text and what's going on here at the tower so we'll talk about that next week awesome thanks everybody uh, for Good night, everyone. Me, and uh, we'll see you guys next week thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story if you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.